0: So we're in our final week of our fall kickoff series designed to kind of clarify and refocus our sense of vision for our church that we're describing this year as for Niagara. What we've been doing is actually taking kind of a close, honest look at the reality that there are people all over our circles and all over the region where we live uh, who want to live a thriving life that makes a difference but are in no danger of turning to a church to help them do that because of lack of trust and poor reputation and rather than get all judgy about the church out there and kind of be critical of other people uh, we've desired this month to just take a good hard look. Only at ourselves and ask ourselves in what ways we can get out of the way of people actually being able to see Jesus for who he is. Uh, For decades, actually, that's been kind of the the point or the vision uh, behind our church. We've understood the church to be nothing more complicated than Jesus with skin on. And so in pursuing that vision, we believe that it's our job to express the life of Jesus Christ in a way that makes sense to people more clearly, more completely, and more continuously with each passing day. And our hope this year is that as we do that more and more that we can be for the people in our lives and for the region of Niagara where God's placed us like never before. And so after casting that original vision in week one of this series, we've started to look at the main bottlenecks of why people don't turn to the church for support in their lives or why they don't give the church a chance. We looked at the first week. But this idea that a lot of people feel the church is hypocritical, that it doesn't live out what it preaches in the way of life of Jesus. And for the most part, that's because none of us Are Jesus, but we learned that through Jesus risen life living through us and empowering us, we can actually reflect more of his life in our day to day behavior. And so we talked about inviting people to our weekly gatherings on Sunday mornings that kind of play out like a spiritual gymnasium where we can not only exercise our faith, but we can learn what's called spiritual practices In order to incorporate those spiritual practices moment by moment, day by day in the other 167 hours of our week in hopes that we can access that living risen life of Jesus and his presence and power to transform us into his life to a greater degree. And in doing so, we can trade hypocrisy for a greater life of integrity that looks like Jesus. Then last week, we looked at the idea that so many people view the church as judgmental. And we realized that the antidote to judgmentalism is welcome and inclusion and hospitality. So we talked about this theological framework called love beyond belief, among other things, to paint the picture of unity amidst diversity as a spiritual family. And we talked about engaging in the program we have around here called life groups as the crucible to help us grow in our appreciation and capacity for unity and diversity so that we can live out a greater degree of that welcome inclusion and hospitality that can contradict the impressions and experiences of judgmentalism. And so for these last two weeks, we've looked at those two main bottlenecks. Today, we want to shift gears and kind of wrap things up by looking at what is essentially the third main bottleneck that kind of gets in the way of people giving the church a chance in order to allow Jesus to make a difference in their lives. And that is the distrust that people have, particularly with the way the church deals with money. The distrust that they have, the skepticism they have towards the church, especially when it comes to money. And you don't have to look any further than Mr. Bean or Bart Simpson to see the spoofs on the church in all of the ways that they've kind of become a joke in the way that they handle money. And as, I, I, as I've as i thought about it and kind of reflected on it in, in my years of church work, I think that people's issues when it comes to how the church handles money are actually three issues. There's sort of three kind of layers to those issues. And so what I want us to do in kind of addressing that and trying to look at ourselves so that we can paint a different picture to the watching world is to kind of work through each of those three layers in succession. That's what we're going to do today. So the first layer that I want us to consider is a common objection that I hear from people that all the church wants is your money. That's kind of the first objection related to to money that all the church wants is your money. That the publicity of always collecting these offerings in your public gatherings, the frequency with which churches always talk about money and the priority with which they're always raising funds and always asking people for money gives people the impression that it doesn't matter if you're here or not. It doesn't matter what you need out of a church community so long as you're giving or as long as you're giving a certain amount of money. That it's kind of all the church cares about is that you contribute financially. And uh, I got to say, this is at some level a difficult challenge to overcome simply because of the frequency with which the Bible addresses financial issues. You might not know this, but there's actually no more common issue or subject that's addressed in all the scripture than the dynamic of faith and finances and when it came to Jesus himself who among those sort of 2500 or so verses that address faith and finances Jesus taught on nothing more than the dynamics of faith and money and uh, among other among other things he said that you cannot serve both God and and money, that they're kind of incompatible. And, and my point is that it's that serious an issue. And so the church often addresses it and, and will address it frequency, frequently. But on top of that, of course, there's this issue that becomes common in the church as they talk about tithing. And tithing is the whole idea, if you haven't heard it, of giving back the first portion of the finances that you've been entrusted back to God through the church so that the church can kind of do its work. And I got to say, you know, talking about finances is is one thing. Talking about tithing, that just sets people into orbit. Uh, I know this even in my own family. All three of our kids this summer uh, for the very first time got like fide jobs. And so they were like making real money. There was real money flowing around the bank accounts and uh, around our home. And so, you know, we were introducing this conversation because when they were little kids we would just get their paper root money and we would just set aside the money you know, we'd take 10% and give it to the church and 10% to their compassion sponsor kid they probably didn't even know that we were tithing it but these days we said you know guys this is the way that you handle money and uh, I'm not gonna get into it but all, all I will say is that I become acutely aware that the default setting of humanity is not really toward tithing it, it, it doesn't really lean in that direction if you can Kind of follow me, but uh, I I just want to summarize by by saying this when it comes to what the Bible says about money. Number one, let's appreciate that everything we have comes from God. That God is actually the owner of everything. That we own nothing, but we have been entrusted with certain resources for a time while we're on earth. It's called being stewards, not owners. We're stewards or managers of what God has entrusted to us rather than owners. And so secondly, to give back a portion of what the owner has entrusted to us according to the owner's design is not just an act of trust and obedience and worship to him personally. It's also a way of stewarding collectively the resources that God has entrusted to a community to be able to do more together than we could Alone, we often say that I'm going to address how we do that uh, in a few moments, but I want us to appreciate that that's kind of the thinking and point behind stewardship and this idea of tithing. But even more so, what we may not appreciate is that there is a tremendous and very unique kind of blessing that God intends people who live out that faithful stewardship, to experience. Not necessarily in a dollar for dollar kind of a way. But in a way that God describes. Uh, in a Old Testament prophet. Uh, called Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Where he says to people of faith there. That you have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. Basically the people there. Were either neglecting behaving this way. Or they were giving token amounts. More like tipping God instead of tithing to God. And he says you're under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Instead, he says, bring all the tithes into my storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. You might not realize this, but this is the one and only time in the entire Bible where God actually dares people to trust him enough to obey him when it comes to the financial stewardship practice of tithing. We need to appreciate that these kinds of behaviors open the opportunity to experience a tremendous abundance and vibrancy in our quality of life like we may never have known. But here's the point to all of this: all of this conversation about money and stewardship and tithing and the whole, the whole lot. All of this is relevant for people who are. In the church and aspiring to track in a life of faith. None of this should matter to people outside the church. So the people outside the church shouldn't be getting the message that all the church wants is their money because the church shouldn't want their money. Which is why if you're a guest or you're just checking out Southridge or you're watching uh, online at home, uh, you need to know that when we collect our financial offering, we say every single week at every location, if you are our guest, please be our guest and don't feel obligated to give. Just let the bags pass on by and instead allow us to give a gift to you. These days, uh, a jar of our uh, artisan Southridge jam. And we do that to make explicitly clear that as far as our church is concerned, we don't want your money. We don't need your money. And gang, the best way to communicate that message is to be faithfully engaging in the financial practices of biblical stewardship ourselves so that we never get in a position where we can even err on the side of coming close to saying that or giving that impression. The antidote to giving the impression that all the church wants is other people's money is the people of the church resourcing the church the way God designed through faithful financial stewardship. Now, if we can get our heads around that, then we can open ourselves up to the next layer of difficulty that people often have with the church when it comes to how it handles money and this one I I don't have a lot to say about because it's just regrettable and that is the way that the church is sketchy or irresponsible in the way that it handles money and you know whether it's uh, televangelists or Christian ministry scandals or you know affluent jet-setting kind of celebrity pastors that give that impression I, I don't know totally where that impression comes from but it's Probably a combination of that and and so much more. There's this sense that the the church mishandles funds. And uh, that's really a tragedy. I'll I'll just say that. That's really a tragedy. And uh, I think Jesus would affirm that as well. Because in Luke 16, 11, uh, he said this. He said, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See, Jesus doesn't just see this as a practicality on earth, although I think the testimony of the church should be stronger in that regard. Jesus says at the end of the day, this is a spiritual issue. And how we handle resources, particularly monetary resources on earth, translates into our degree of trustworthiness on the other side of eternity, at the end of this life on earth. And so we really need to take financial management seriously and as a faith community, make sure that we are being profusely responsible with the resources that God entrusts to us personally and especially as a community. Now, around here, you may not uh, realize how we do that or that we care about that. But this is a big deal to us, especially as a leadership. Uh, we, over the last number of years, have worked towards uh, what we call a 4C accreditation. There's an independent agency called the Canadian Council of Christian Charities, the 4Cs. And uh, they certify uh, Christian organizations and churches uh, according to their financial management and, and administrative practices and uh, it's quite an arduous process to go through to get accredited but in the last number of years uh, we've been able to do that and that includes all kinds of policies and procedures and protocols for gaining financial approvals and you know having two independent signatures on checks so people can't just spend whatever they want on whatever they want you know sort of uh, whenever they want Uh And we need to to appreciate that on a monthly basis all of our financial expenditures get reviewed by the department heads of each department and then our overall financial picture gets sent to our board of elders who review it every single month not just every year. Uh, At the end of every year, uh, we have an independent thorough financial audit and then the auditor produces their own set of financial statements that they present directly to the board. They don't give them to the staff to kind of manipulate or you know reconfigure in any sort of way and then our financials our our uh, revenue our expenses all those kinds of things as well as the audited financial statements get presented and distributed to every single member of our church at our annual general meeting in february every line every expense every revenue stream it, it all gets kind of laid out for people to see And uh, if you've never been to one of those and you're interested uh, I do believe that we have some copies still of our uh, audited financial statements. We could get you a copy if you were curious because here's the thing all we can do is be as fully transparent about the financial responsibilities that we take in order to combat that impression of sketchiness. The only way you don't come across as sketchy is by being responsible and by being transparently responsible. As a faith community, we're we're attempting to do that. And uh, in our personal lives, let's be encouraged to do that as well. Because I think the real rub that people have when it comes to the church navigating uh, financial matters isn't just that they're always asking for money or in some cases that they're scandalous or sketchy in the way that they handle money. I think the biggest rub for people as I talk with them is that the majority of the money that the church spends is actually for the betterment of itself. The majority of the money that the church spends it spends on itself and uh, uh, I sort of feel like it's one of those things where the watching world looks at the church and just has an intuitive sense of how the church and how the kingdom of God ought to work. Because when I think about what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6, that comes to mind. In verse 19, he says to his uh, first followers, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What Jesus is saying from a resource and especially from a financial perspective is to be an investor, to to steward your funds like an investor and to invest them in the purposes of God on earth. So Jesus teaches his followers to invest our resources into his purposes on earth, which are quite simply sharing his love to those who've never experienced or heard it, right? Allowing people who haven't encountered the love of Christ to encounter it for themselves, especially, I would say, especially those who desperately need it. And I think the watching world just intuitively gets that that the church ought to be an agency that invests beyond itself to the watching world. But sometimes I think that as you understand uh, common sense just isn't always that common even sometimes in the church even sometimes in a church like ours. You may not know this, but uh, back around 2003, 2004, when our church relocated to what is now our St. Catharines location uh, near the downtown core of the city of St. Catharines, I did some budget analysis, some some analysis of the way that we were spending our dollars. And basically, our financial pie, the configuration of our expenditures, was like a two-third, one-third breakdown. About two-thirds of our uh, financial expenditures were related to our Sunday morning gatherings. To all of the staffing and resources and, uh, you know, the facilities and and utilities and things. All the technology, everything uh, that it cost to put on our weekend services. And then about one-third was invested in all the ministry that we did during the week. Our family ministry, our, uh, you know, kids and student ministries, our life group programs, you know, uh, Christian education, things like that. And what I had to realize back then when I was doing this budget analysis was that the only dollars that we had devoted in our budget to like local or global compassion and justice to like meeting needs outside of just the the dynamics of our faith community were. Two line items that weren't even really line items. They were goals to reach for two affiliated missions organizations where we took a special offering on Thanksgiving Sunday. Gang, as far back as just like 15 years ago, that this is not like some other church. And it's not, other, not some other generation of our church. This is years into my generation's leadership of our church. There was a time where we actually had no designated dollars seeking to be invested in spreading Christ's love outside of the walls of our building, pretty much. It was invested in services for us and programs for us and, and you know, kids' activities and all kinds of things that stimulated our spirituality but were ultimately invested ourselves. And thankfully, since moving to St. Catharines and opening up the 24-7 homeless shelter that we have there, which, full disclosure, is partially funded through a partnership with the regional government. Not fully funded. We certainly don't profit off that, but uh, they do help offset uh, a portion of the costs. And since doing that, and then since replicating our shelter equivalents in our other Southridge locations in what we call our anchor causes, kind of the core reasons why we have Southridge locations in multiple parts of Niagara, over the years, we've been able to see our financial pie look different. And these days, when it comes to the dollars that we invest in our weekend services and things related to that, compared to the dollars that we invest in midweek programming, our life groups and family ministries and things like that, compared to the dollars that we now invest in local and global compassion, it's a split of just under 20%, just under 30%, and just over 50%. And what started just 15 years ago as literally having no dollars designated to that in any way, shape or form now occupies the majority of our dollars that for the last number of years, we've been able to say that as a community, we steward and invest more of our dollars to other people to share Christ's love than we do to stimulate ours and others spirituality in programs in here. And I don't say that to pat ourselves on the back or to, to, to act like that's impressive. I, I, I regret that it took us that long to get, to get there, frankly. Um, I just say that because when it comes to like the mechanics of church budgets, that actually is more unique that you can appreciate. And I hope that we've actually appreciated throughout this series that these ways in which we're trying to combat society's impression of the church are very unique approaches gathering instead of a concert in a classroom as a spiritual gymnasium to learn practices that will access the life of Jesus so he can live his life through us to a greater degree so we can replace hypocrisy with integrity that's unique. Love beyond belief that seeks to be a community of unity in diversity and leverages its subdivision of life groups as a crucible for growing and transforming in that way is unique. And a church that's organized less around buildings and where it gathers and more around its missional initiatives, its anchor causes in its communities that take up the majority of its financial resources gang that is unique. And again, I don't say those things to boast in any way. I say those things to clarify what you can know is unique about our community especially on this missional front with our anchor causes, because this not only defines us, this is what ultimately excites us these days. You know, we're excited by what God is doing. Most primarily in St. Catherine's through what he's doing in our homeless shelter. Not just providing, you know, food and accommodation for residents. And now a a new expanded capacity of residents. But in all of the ways that he's blossoming the supplementary programming. You know, rock climbing and, you know, sports activities. And we've had arts groups and, and devotions times and men's and women's coffee. And, you know, summer barbecues and Christmas parties and, you know, Thanksgiving dinners and summer retreats and so many ways that friendship makes a difference. It's been amazing to see. Same thing's true in Vineland where what started out in trying to serve migrant farm workers with a life group adopt a farm kind of core That's blossomed into all kinds of great social activity and touring the falls and enjoying Jays games and and just celebrating the summer together gathering in our in our uh, Vineland lawn and cooking jerk chicken on the barbecue and having dominoes tournaments and cricket nights and all the while renovating our basement there to have fully functioning medical clinics so that the migrant farm workers can get medical treatment outside of work hours. You know, our ministry there has just blossomed. It excites us. It excites us with what God's doing and well in these days in a relatively new facility, being able to make the most of our kitchen there to try to offset the pressures that people are feeling in an affordable housing crunch. We've got two main programs there if you're unfamiliar with them. Our Harvest Kitchen is a way that you can come and simply be served a meal uh, for those who really need it. And then we've got an even more creative initiative called Collective Kitchen where people will come and spend the majority of the day uh, learning how to cook and cooking different meals together and contributing $25 leaving with 25 meals at the end of the day. Again, a great opportunity to develop friendships uh, in a longer term kind of a way that make the difference. And gang, this is what we mean when in our welcome video, we say here at Southridge, we see church less as an event you go to and more as a life that is lived for others. It's less as an event you go to and more as a life that is lived for others. This is the foundation of what makes us us. And not only that, it's not only what thrills us today, it's what excites us about tomorrow. Because when it comes to the big dreams of our church, all of our biggest dreams are in this regard. Ways in which we can invest in our community in this way to a greater degree. You know, we get excited about the way that our... Uh, Food programs and our kitchen ministry is blossoming in Welland. We know that there's going to be a homeless crunch come winter time. And we're already talking about ways that we can leverage our kitchen to a greater degree to come alongside and meet some of those needs. Never mind staring at the vacant land as part of our property, knowing that the number one issue in Welland is affordable housing and wondering whether all of the affordable housing expertise and all of the construction trade expertise and skills that we have in our community, plus this land wasn't entrusted to us specifically for such a time as this to be that kind of church that is for Welland in that way. We're excited looking ahead at the ways that we can continue to strength our, uh, strengthen our relationship with our migrant worker friends in Vineland. And we're talking right now about creating some additional facility space for midweek drop-in, where uh, our friends can can come after work and just relax and socialize and interact with one another, even from uh, each other's different farms, and connect with people from our community, and not just enjoy each other socially, but provide supplementary supports, income tax support, and things like that. Never mind moving the needle, not just on extending friendship and compassion uh, to all of our guys, but ultimately to shifting gears into advocating for justice on things like living conditions and medical treatment where they still don't always get a fair shake. Same thing's true in St. Catharines where what's thrilling us these days is watching the way that God has kind of worked us together with other agencies that contribute to homelessness into behaving more like a hub model a hub model that draws all kinds of other supports, detox and, you know, OW and uh, job placements and skill training and healthcare and things like that all together in a very proximal way, which our shelter is to our faith community. We've taken advantage of that proximity, but we started to wonder what it would look like to construct something where all of these agencies could function as a hub in proximity together all the time. And on top of that, to provide a facility that provides multiple opportunities for housing not just emergency shelter but maybe transitional housing and low income affordable housing on top of that these are the kinds of dreams that we're starting to pull together in kind of subcommittees and you know unofficial groups to get sketches together to start start launching formal processes so that we can be for the people God's placed in our community to a greater degree and if you're new to Southridge, or you're a guest, or you're just checking us out online, I want you to appreciate, again, and we said this at the beginning of this series, I'll say it again, we know, we know that you want to live a vibrant life that makes a difference. But we also know that you are real hesitant to give the church a chance to help you do that. We understand that, we understand why, we own that, we apologize for that, we know that it shouldn't be that way. But I hope you hear our heart today and I hope you can appreciate that through a commitment to faithful stewardship as a community, Through a commitment to responsible, transparent management of the funds entrusted to us. And through a commitment to generous and increasingly generous investment beyond these walls into the people in our society who need it most. You can not only trust us from a financial perspective, you can be part of this adventure yourself. So that you're not just checking us out and watching us live this adventure, but you can join in too. We hope that you would give us that kind of a chance. For those of us who are part of our community and want to give the people in our lives that kind of chance. uh, Let's just appreciate that being this kind of community and pursuing these kinds of dreams at the end of the day, it costs money. It costs money. And so as we consider how thrilling it would be this year to be for Niagara like never before, let's ask if we're willing to put our money where our mouth is and whether we're going to be willing this year to invest our wallets in being for our community personally and as a faith community like maybe we never have. Because when you get to that point, now you're starting to behave like a church that reveals the the person of Jesus to the watching world. That's what we see in the first century recorded in Acts chapter 2 where it says in verse 45 that all the believers there, they sold their property and they sold their possessions and they shared that money with those in need. On top of that, they worshiped at the temple each day. On top of that, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We know, we know gang that as we continue to grow, particularly in this direction where we are faithfully stewarding responsibly managing and ultimately generously investing our resources in the people in our community who need it most that those good deeds will create a societal goodwill that will open people to the good news like never before. And so if you have people in your mind, especially the four people, if you've been tracking with this series, the four people that you want to be for, make those commitments this year to be a faithful steward, a responsible manager, and a generous investor of your resources, personally and together as a church family, so that we can live out the incarnate love of Jesus, so that we can express the life of Jesus Christ to our community more clearly, more Continuously and more completely than ever before. And more than ever, we can be a community of people who are for Niagara. Like we've never been before. Let's pray together. God, we want to wrap up this series and say thank you again for being for us. We love you and we thank you for all of the ways, especially in Jesus. That you have and are for us even today. God inspire us personally and as a community to what it would look like for us to reverse the script of the story the world tells about the church and the story they experience to paint a different picture of who Jesus wants to be in their lives and to invite them into a different story. And God, I pray that if there are people who are listening to this message or watching online, God, I pray that you would touch their hearts and inspire them that there is a church that wants to take this seriously that wants to get out of the way of them seeing Jesus that I pray that at a personal level and together as a church family across all of our locations that you would do the work in our hearts and in our heads and in our habits the way that we behave the way our church functions to get us out of the way of people seeing Jesus so we can be for them and for Niagara like never before. We look forward to watching you work this way in our lives and in our church this year. We love you and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.